Warning, this episode contains adult language and content. They say the pen is mightier, but in whose hands? So we'll pitch your stories head to head and find out which one lands. All three sham writers haven't read a lot, so your sham host will find a famous plot. Books and films and TV shows, they'll make a pitch, then off you go to write what you don't know. This is Sham Fiction, the show where two writers cross pens in a duel to write what they don't know. Now, here's your host, Marcus Mann. Thank you, I am your host, Marcus Mann, and I'm here to talk today with a couple writers who look familiar to me and may sound familiar to you. First we have our welterweight champion. I don't know what welterweight is. Is that the lightweight? That's like middleweight? Nope, they would call it middleweight, wouldn't Middle, they? Middle, I think welterweight's the lightweight. Uh, okay. Good. Anyway. Hey, thank you. Andrew, welterweight Neil. I feel very trim. I appreciate You're trim. that. Thank You're looking you. good. Thank you. I'm doing nothing. You're down to your fighting weight. Fighting weight. Yep. I... Not working you're out and weight, you're right eating weight. like a garbage person. <laughs> All right, wonderful. We'll talk about that in this pitch. And we're also going to bring in our bearded weight champion, <laughs> Eric always, Carlson. It's always the beard. I can't get away from it. I'm going to shave one day, and you're going to have nothing oh, to gosh. say about me. I don't me. even remember what your face looks like without a beard. Uh, it's been years. Spoiler, it's awful. <laughs> I, uh, I'll have to remember back to our college days. Well, how, how are you guys doing, you gentlemen? Here I'm, today. I'm ready. I'm ready to battle it out with Messer Carlson. I'm ready to knock that beard right off, off his, his beard face. Beautiful face. Using using writing. Yeah. You're gonna write the beard right off his face. Yep. That's what I'm gonna do. Them's writing words. Oh, there we go. All right. Well, what are you gonna be writing this week? You're writing a book by the beloved author Andy author. Weir. Author. 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 It was like an <laughs> author. Author. Mm-hmm. Is an author. Uh, author. Uh, that's winning lots of points. <laughs> uh, Andy Weir, who we all know and love from writing The Martian, the uh, story of a near future trip to Mars where Mark Watney got abandoned. This is his story in a not as near future version of The Moon. Mm. So it's. Uh, Wait, hold on. The Earth's Moon? The Earth's Moon. Oh. Uh, this book is called Artemis. And it just came out uh, around the time we're recording this in November of 2017. You're yeah. going to listen to it a lot later than that. But it's uh, really exciting. It's going to be a movie at some point. <gasps> Is Matt Damon uh, going to be in it? I can only hope. Oh, he better be. Buzz Mark Watney. It's, uh, <laughs> it's got uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller attached to direct. That's exciting. Yeah, that is yeah exciting. so really exciting. Uh, Fun little caper. It'll all be in Lego. I, ooh, that would be good. Oh, yep, and Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum will be in it because directors of <gasps> yeah. 21 Jump Street. Really? I don't know anything about this book, but I assume that it'll have characters that they can play. Uh-huh. Uh, it does have more than two men in it. <laughs> so maybe it'll the just options be, are maybe there. Maybe it'll just be 23 Jump Street <laughs> in, in space. space. Oh, I love that. Perfect. All right. Well, you can choose to write that because that's the beauty of the show. You get to do your own version of it. It's true. But I think I'm ready to get into the pitch because I want to talk about the moon. I mean, I always want to talk about the moon, but I especially want to talk about the moon right now. All right, let's talk about the moon. All right, so here we go. Pitch session. Eight minutes on the clock. Three, two, one, let's jam. All right, so this is in the nearish future. I don't know if this is like 2050, 2100, something around there. Nearish future. We spend the entire book on the moon. And this book is written first-person perspective of one of my favorite new characters, Jasmine or Jazz Bashara, who is a young woman in her early 20s maybe, and she grew up on the moon. So her father is from Saudi Arabia, she lived there until she was maybe six, flies up to the moon, and lives on the first human city on the moon. There aren't cities of other types of aliens that we know of. It's still just humans in this. But it's, it's definitely the first human city. I can vouch for that part of it. I'm going to go visit the human city of Seattle this week. <laughs> yeah, the first human city of Washington. Uh, so, yes, they go to live on Artemis, which is much like you imagine from the old sci-fi films or stories. Uh, a bunch of domes is what it looks like. 
on the moon, but they're actually spheres. So they have uh, parts that are above and below ground. Cool. And that's how they're all called. So you got them named after famous astronauts. You got Armstrong, Aldrin, Conrad, Bean, and Shepard are the five bubbles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like if you're living above ground and, and you know Conrad, you'd be at like Conrad up five is what they'd call it, or you could be at Shepard down two. That sort of deal. Cool. Okay. So you got all these cool space things, and the primary industry on the moon is tourism. Oh, sure. Uh, oh. You've got people who are, you know, running that industry. You have wealthy people who go there on vacation. You have wealthy people who go there to live. And then you have the working class, because you're not going to have super rich people living on the moon and cleaning their own toilets. So that's where we meet yeah. Jazz. Jazz is the working class stiff on the moon. She's brilliant. But she has just balked against any formal education or following, really, in her father's footsteps. He's a, a prominent welder, you know, working class guy. But she is now a porter on the moon, so she carries stuff around. Okay. But that because she's loading and unloading crates, that let her get into a smuggling business. <gasps> so she has a pen God, pal so from when low. she was a child named Kelvin, and uh, he loads stuff up on Earth, and then she gets to the crates first. And then it's kind of wheeling, dealing with the black market on the moon. So nice. she's she's a hustler. She's fun. She swears like a sailor. She's super smart and talented. Uh, she has her own little cart. She calls it Trigger. He's a good boy. Uh, <laughs> just drives it around the moon. It's fun. And uh, she is constantly kind of in this cat and mouse relationship with the constable, Rudy Dubois, who is a super hot dude. Ooh, nice. And she's like, oh, I hate him. But boy, is he strong. <laughs> Strapping. <laughs> so she's a very sex-positive character. She's always talking about the hot fellas. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a bit of a reputation, although she doesn't think it's well-earned. Mm. Uh, she lives in the, the poorest of the poor part of the moon, Conrad Down 15. Lives in what's called as a capsule. So it's uh, just a small place. You can't even stand up in it. It's really just a cot <laughs> in a shelf. And uh, they're colloquially called coffins. Okay. So she's trying in this book uh, to figure out any way to make money. She has this mysterious debt of, or goal of 416,922 slugs, (laughs) which is the moon currency. Uh, It's the amount of mass that you can get shipped up from Earth. That's what they trade. They don't care about dollars or cents or anything. It's just, hey, can I get something on the next shuttle? That's what it all comes down to. Oh, okay. uh, So they got, you know, all their transactions uh, and stuff. Four minutes remaining. Oh, gosh, four minutes are handled on these things called gizmos, which are little straps on your arm, and it does like your phone would. Everything is done through the gizmo. Access, identification, everything. So the story, let's get into that, is about uh, jazz kind of escalating from a smuggler into doing a little uh, little um, sabotage. She gets invited by this rich gazillionaire, Trond Landvik, who's like what? the richest guy on the moon. Good name. Uh, who's a businessman. We don't know much about him, but we know he likes to get cigars, which, of course, you're not allowed to have anything flammable on the moon. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, so she has this fun, chummy relationship with this guy. He moved there because his daughter had a problem with her legs, so the lesser... Uh, gravity on the moon lets her get around. So good, good kind of guy, but definitely a criminal. So he asks her to sabotage the uh, operations of Sanchez Aluminum. So we won't go into the whole why of that, but they make uh, not only aluminum but oxygen and fuel because making the aluminum out of the minerals on the moon has these byproducts. Mm-hmm. So there's actually tons of oxygen on the moon. It's not a problem ever. You're never going to run out of air. Uh, so she gets involved with that, leads her into this big conspiracy and the first murder ever <gasps> on the moon. Oh, yeah. No. So it just things murder. spiral out of hand. Uh, and with that, she's also dealing with her personal relationships. She views herself as a total screw up. Uh, she's kind of balked against, as I said, every formal training process in the past. She's estranged from her father, uh, did something terrible at some point, breaking his trust. And the moon is all about communities, right? So there aren't many laws. It's your reputation is your bond. And so he lost a lot of reputation based on something that she did in the past that hurt his business. Two minutes uh, remaining. 
there's no... I mean, we've got our main constable kind of guy, but you don't really have too many laws or anything. There's moon justice. So, like, if, if someone does something wrong... Uh, you get a posse together and just go beat the shit out of them. Whoa, okay. <laughs> that's, that's how the moon works. Because wow. you can't really jail people. You can't. It's, it's extraordinarily expensive to send them back to Earth. Uh, the whole thing is run by Administrator Naguji, who is from uh, Kenya. Okay. The Kenyan Space Corporation, or KSC, is responsible for really running this whole city. So they took the advantage of being on the equator and having less regulations to develop this whole space program and get everything sent up there, wow. which is super cool. Uh, she's got a kind of friend, Martin, who's like this tech engineering genius, okay. but she doesn't. She just sort of realized that he's a friend. He's very awkward. Uh, he's throughout this, there's this one, one gag remaining. of he wants to get her to test this uh, reusable condom he designed. Oh god! <laughs> Which of course the first idea is like, oh gross, but then you realize, oh, it's you can't make those on the moon, so you have to ship them up. So it's really expensive, and you can come up with a reusable and be really good. Oh, so it's just boy. funny. He's always pestering her every conversation they have. Did you use it yet? <laughs> she goes, who do you think I am? <laughs> um, so she's also trained to do EVAs. But she's not licensed by the EVA guild. There are different guilds. EVA, extravehicular activity. So yeah. gets out in the spacesuits. Uh, she also has a very hateful relationship with her former best friend, Dale, who runs tours as an EVA guy uh, because he stole her old boyfriend, Tyler. The only man she ever loved. So very sad. Uh, but it's just, it's a lot of fun. Just think caper. Think, uh, like, what kind of hijinks you get up to the moon it's very sciencey it's very like hard sci-fi everything has a justification it's not just lasers and whatnot time's up Go. Not just lasers. Not just, just lasers. All that's right. the tagline. That's what's on the front cover of the book. Not just lasers. Yep. And there's a ton of stuff I didn't get to tell you about, so Woo. please ask me some good questions. We'll ask some questions. But I'm excited. It's very moody. It's very fun and spacey. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I like, I like moody stuff. I like spacey stuff. Oh my yes. You're going to have fun with this one. Good. So... I think that uh, Eric should moonwalk on out of here. Oh, okay. And we can get a little Q&A going with Mr. Andrew Neal. All right. You get a Q&A second. I just wanted to see you bounce away. I hate to see you leave, but I love to see you moon bounce away. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> All right, Andrew. Are you ready for your Q&A? Uh I guess. The first go, yeah. We'll There's lots of stuff I didn't cover, so just ask me questions. I'll be really happy. All right, we'll get our clock set up. Two-minute Q&A, begin. So what do people do on the moon? Like, what's the tourism? Like, what do the tourists do? Well, so they love to bounce around. This whole place is set up around the first moon landing. So you can see that's a protected space. Okay. So they can come and go and, like, get in these hamster balls and walk around in that area and see the side of the first moon landing. It's fun because there's different gravity. There aren't really rules, so prostitution's a big deal. Oh. Um, but for rich people, they go and they stay at this crazy Ritz-Carlton. For a middle-class family, it's like with the right financing, you could get out there maybe once in a lifetime to see the views and be in a different place. Okay. And how long has this been here? How long has this settlement been there? Did, did they get? I mean, any... a few decades. I, okay, I so guess. it feels new. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jazz, like I said, she went up there at six. She's in her twenties now, so it's still a relatively new thing. Is there a governing? You said that the it's kind of wild west, but yeah. is there a governing body? I don't think it's not a owned by any country, uh, okay. but Administrator Naguji is like the president empress of the whole place. So she is the big deal. Okay, okay. But, so, but okay, so that's interesting. So even though the Kenyans set it up, they, it's not necessarily a, like, Kenyan uh, uh, colony. It's it's for everybody, or it's its own thing. Yeah, lots of different cultural groups in different places on it. Okay. So, like, you, you'd have... Uh, like 30 Greek seconds remaining. That kind of thing. Okay. I want to know a little bit about what she's sabotaging. Like, what is she sabotaging? So yeah. she's sabotaging Santa's aluminum. Yeah. Because they have a contract that they have to provide enough oxygen. And if they fail that, Tron thinks he can take over the oxygen business. Oh. Okay. So he's trying to get them to break their service level agreement. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very so, businessy. <laughs> yeah. Corporate espionage yeah. is what's going on here. All 
right. Uh, Time's oh, up. That's it. They'll do it, I guess. I'm excited. So, you know, just have fun. That's, that's the, the big advice I'm going to give you. I think I'm going to have a good time. Doing yes. This. Yeah. Jazz is a super cool character. Sounds like it. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buzz off. Uh, buzz Aldrin off. Oh. All righty. I'm going. Sit there again on your way back. Thanks, baby. Hey, what's up? Oh, man, I'm excited. Andrew asked some good questions. That's So I hope you can come back in with some good questions. Just remember, if you ask any of the good questions that Andrew asked, or any of the bad questions he asked, I'm uh, not judging, yeah. I won't be able to answer them again. All right. I think, uh, I think I got some good questions here. All right. Well, let's get rolling. All right. Two-minute Q&A. Begin. Okay, first of all, is the moon made of cheese? The moon is not made of cheese. Uh, Wallace and Gromit there. Wallace and Gromit may or may not be there. <laughs> okay. Um, not specified. So, Jazz, ultimate goals, plans, dreams... So right now she's really obsessed with getting this amount of money. Okay, this is a crazy high amount of money. Uh, But she, I think she just wants to be independent. That's a big deal for her. That's why she bulks against these other deals. Sure. Um, How many people live on the moon? Uh, I guess maybe like a couple thousand. Couple thousand. All right, not too crazy. Um, So this is Andy Weir, like the Martian. Is there any issues with like survival, like tech, like air, oxygen, resources on the moon? So the Sanchez aluminum makes a ton of extra oxygen. Sure. They're never gonna run out of oxygen. Do they like ever find themselves stranded out in no, space? No, no, this anything? is it's pretty solid pretty at this point. All right, cool. Um, so how actually why does the those richest moon man Trond, uh, why does he want to sabotage this company, Sanchez? I can't give you much info on that. No, too much. Yeah, because Andrew kind of asked. Okay. Um, how does she? Does oh, jazz. Sabotage? They they have these uh mining like autonomous things that roll around and gather yeah. material for it. Yeah, and she gonna blow them up. Oh, she Which is home. really hard to do because you have to do an EVA, oh, yeah. and they know everyone who has the EVA license. Okay. Yeah, so it's uh, <laughs> her trying to hide what she's doing to get out there. Sure. It's crazy. Um, is it all, all like the big crawlers on the movie Moon by Duncan Jones? Yeah. Yep. Same huge, sort of huge thing. crawlers. Okay. 30 seconds remaining. Ooh, 30 seconds remaining. All right. Um, what else do I have? That was most of my questions, actually. So uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy. All right, I'll tell answers. you, they, they eat gunk sometimes, gunk. which is like the cheap uh, algae you can grow on the moon. Oh, that's a good. So like name. that's your fallback if sure. they run out of other resources. Gotcha. How do they get rid of garbage? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Maybe moon just toss it out. They just toss it out. <laughs> I have no idea. Just like f off. Time garbage. Is up. That's fine. Hey, time's up. Fantastic. All right. Thank you. Well, that was fun. I'm excited. Do you, you feel like you got something to go off of here? I got plenty. Oh my. Yeah, this is going to be real good. Uh, So I'm excited to see what you write. I'll see you after that. But uh, for you listeners at home, we're going to hear two wonderful moon-based first-person narratives from a young Saudi Arabian woman written by Andrew and Eric. So let's hope that works out well. And I am excited to hear it. Catch you in a bit. Hello, Sham Nation. We hope you're enjoying the show. While the guys are off writing, I wanted to get real with you in a way that only a recorded ad can get real. If you like our show, please hop on your favorite iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It really helps us get the word out there to more people. If you love the show and want to help us produce it, hop on coffee.com slash shamfiction. That's ko-fi.com slash shamfiction. And send us some money, love. If not, we won't tell anyone. Thanks for your support. If you want to get in touch with us, send us an email, contact at shamfiction.com, twitter.com slash shamfiction, Instagram is a shamfiction thing. I think it's instagram.com slash shamfiction. You get the idea. We want to hear from you. Now back to the show. And we are back. Welcoming our two EVA experts, Andrew Neal and Eric Carlson, with their versions of Andy Weir's Artemis. How you doing, gentlemen? Good. That was a I'm, lot of enthusiasm. Yep. <laughs> There's some delay talking to the moon, so I'm going to chalk that up to that. <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. That's where we are. You know, one, what is it, uh, 16% of our normal body weight. I'm feeling real trim right now. Yeah. A little light on my feet. You had the same mass, a little bit less weight. 
It's yep, important there we thing go. to remember. I'm doing a, a jaunty dance for you. It's all relative. He's doing a dance. There's a lot of hips in this dance. <laughs> you know, it's it's one small jig for man. <laughs> one, one, one giant mamba for know, mankind. There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, I am very excited to hear your stories, to see where you've taken young jazz this evening or morning or you know you could listen to this at 3 a.m whenever you're listening to it that's when we're going to find out what's going on with jazz so let's get right into it i'm going to flip my coin now to see which one of you will go oh, first man. Flip, it's going to take so long it. for that coin to come oh, down man, that, oh yep all right it is <laughs> nope. spinning it's it still is spinning. spinning it's yep. uh i lost it it's my face Eric's face. I, I, My face. I looked Eric's up. Face. Uh, looked up at the sun, and <laughs> because I didn't have any sort of shielding going on, I'm basically blind now. So I'm gonna say the Mamba Master himself gets the first crack at this. Andrew, let's hear your Artemis. Oh, I have been waiting years for you to recognize me as the Mambo Master. It does come up frequently in our social events. And he's like, hey guys, check out this dance that I didn't prepare at all. And then he goes into a really well choreographed thing. I know your game, Andrew. I'm just a real good dancer. I can just think <laughs> them up right on the spot. All right, all right, here we go. Eric, you're loving this, aren't you? You're just... I love it so much. <laughs> Definitely not facepalming right now. For the listener, he definitely isn't. All right, here we go. This is Andrew Neal's Artemis. I knew something was up. I knew from the moment he offered me the cigar. Why would a man like Tron Landvik offer a thing of such value to me, a girl who lives in a coffin? I knew better. I should have said no. But I didn't, because I wanted it. I'd smoke before, socially, I suppose you'd say. I'd say after sex, typically. Not in this case with Landvik, of course. Cigarettes are common in my business, but guys still think they can impress you with them. They're not entirely wrong. <laughs> but this cigar, just... Fuck. It was so good, I, I don't know how else to describe it. So... Instead, I'll describe you describe where I was while I luxuriated in its smoky awesomeness, Landvik's Lounge. In Artemis, you get used to cold-looking places, lots of chrome, lots of white, but Landvik's place wasn't like that. It was warm and inviting, soft orange lights, winged armchairs, real wooden floors somehow. I was seated in one of the chairs, basking in the warmth of the room in the stogie, when he asked, So, how do you get these, Jazz? Landvik took a drag off his cigar. He was seated in another chair, facing me. A long coffee table rested between us. The question was a non-sequitur. We had just finished discussing his recent trip to China. Or more accurately, he waxed on about it, and I shut up, listened, and smoked that dope stogue. <laughs> I was surprised by the question, but hell, I was su surprised we were talking at all. It's only so much surprise one can take, and more was on the way. I hesitated. Maybe the question was a test, I thought. I shook my head. I don't think I should tell you that, Mr. Landvik. He exhaled smoke. When it cleared, a smile appeared. Please, call me Tron. It's a ridiculous name, but it's mine. <laughs> he chuckled and looked at me. His expression was warm and inviting like the room around us, but I wasn't entirely convinced. Sorry, yes, I'd, I'd rather not tell you, Tron. Hmm. Any reason? I'm only curious. Yes, sir. Tron, sorry. Um, I sat up a little straighter. Um, protection. Your protection. I'd, I'd rather not risk your reputation. <laughs> oh, my. No, Jazz, no. There's no need to worry about me. These, he held up the cigar, are a minor infraction. The eggheads get all worked up about fire and space, and I think we're past that. He gestured to the impressive surroundings. I smiled. Sure. So come on, how do, you, how do you do it? I took a short pull off my stogie and give, to give myself a moment to think. 
Perhaps I'd give him a small test of my own. They're low weight. Um, my guys Earthside, they just put them on undetected. A playful smile curled on Landvik's lip, and he gave me a knowing look. He leaned forward and let the ash from his cigar fall on, into an ashtray on the coffee table. I ship a lot of product down to Earth, Jazz. I know a bit about how my operation side of the business works. Not a lot, but a bit. Enough to know that our scales up here don't miss a thing. So, please. He gestured for me to continue. I was reminded that you don't get to be a multi-gazillionaire if you're a total idiot. He'd pass my bullshit test, and anything more would test anyone's patience, especially a man whose every precious second was worth thousands of dollars. We cooked the books. My guys shipped the cigars with bulk produce cargo, adding an extra weight to an item on the manifest, and then I take them and edit the manifest again. But what about the invoice? The end customer expects a specific amount. Not with produce. There's a small margin of error, stuff leaks, falls on the ground. The Ritz doesn't mind as long as the difference isn't considerable. They don't want to appear cheap. Landvik chuckled at this. I suppose it wouldn't surprise you, but that I can understand. <laughs> sure, I said, laughing a little. Clearly pleased with my response, he took a drag from his cigar. As he did, he considered me with studying eyes. I held in, or he held in that breath for a moment, then exhaled and started speaking immediately from behind the thin veil of curling smoke. Jazz, I need some equipment to go missing. I had been lifting my own cigar to my lips when he said it. I halted awkwardly. Landvik continued as the haze dissipated. Sanchez Aluminum. They have a non-compete contract for oxygen here on Artemis. I need some key equipment to disappear to upset their operations and break their service level agreement. He paused to look and looked at me expectantly, twirling his cigar between his fingers. I didn't have a fucking clue how to respond to that. All that came out was a dumb... Whoa, why? <laughs> because I want the contract, he said with utter nonchalance, as if we were talking about scheduling a squash match rather than sabotaging shipments at a major corporation. No, sir, I, I mean Tron. Um, I mean, why me? Uh, I don't work at Sanchez. I, I don't have access. I have a guy inside, manager in operations. Good guy. He'll get you in. But... I'm sure the systems, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're, they're different. No, 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 there shouldn't be much difference. Shipping is heavily regu regulated up here. We all use the same platform. His expression softened to display concern. I was still dumbfounded by his candidness, and my dumbass face certainly wasn't concealing it. Listen, Jazz, trust me, it'll be no different from the cigars. You cook the books, and then use those sweet porter skills, he used air quotes when saying this, to deliver the shipments to me. Or well, my team, you, you won't be alone. Amongst the entirety of this bizarre exchange, that last bit stood out. Who else was on this team? That manager guy in Sanchez operations? How high up the org chart was that guy? I couldn't imagine very far if Landvik was talking to me. Seriously, why was he talking to me? Suddenly his hand was extended in front of me. Come over here, I'd like to show you something. He smiled in an assuring way, and I remembered that he was a father. I imagined him reaching out to his daughter and looking at her in a similar way. I took his hand to get up, and we walked a short distance to stand in front of an opaque glass wall, which reflected a soft orange light, which reflected the soft orange light of the room. Gideon, Landvik said, set windows to full transparency. The wall seemed to fade away, which startled me at first in my overwhelmed state. Then I relaxed when I noticed the view. I'd seen Earth before, but not like this. Not from Aldrin up 17. This was as high as it got. Far below, the dusty gray waves of the Sea of Tranquility rippled outward, cutting off at the severe black horizon. There she floated, serenely in the, in the blackness, glowing a brilliant blue. Clouds swirled in her skies. I always loved looking at her. She was different every time. You live in one of those coffins, right? Landvik asked. I, I sleep in one, yeah. I didn't look at him as I responded. How could you look away from that view? There's no real living in them, hence the nomenclature. Landvik chuckled. <laughs> I suppose. I tried to determine what part of Earth was facing us. 
It looked like the Pacific. Knight was advancing from the bottom left. If you do this, at the end I'll pay you 500000 And, if I like doing business with you, and I expect I will, I'll hire you in operations at my company. I turned at this. He was already looking at me. From there, we'll get you into an apartment where you can do some real living. Maybe you'll even have a view. Not quite like this, of course. <laughs> no shit. I instantly regretted swearing like that in front of him, but he just laughed and asked, So, what do you say? What do I say, I thought. What do I say? 500,000 slugs? A good job? A real apartment? It's a goddamn dream come true. What do I say? I say, fuck yes, Mr. Tron motherfucking Landvik. Fuck yes. <laughs> you don't say offer. You don't say no to an offer like this. <laughs> what if I did? What if I did? The thought, my thoughts caught on the question. At that moment, I remembered where I was and, more importantly, who I was. I was in the lounge in the home of one of the wealthiest men in Artemis. And who was I? I was nobody. When one of the wealthiest men in Artemis asks a nobody to be part of his plan to sabotage the lone manufacturer of oxygen on the moon, how does that nobody say no? The answer isn't she doesn't. The answer is she can't. Because if she does, that man can make her truly nobody. And I turn back to the view, the earth surrounded in all that dark. Jazz, in the reflection of the window, I saw Landvik extend his hand. I turned to him, and he smiled at me as he had throughout our conversation. Nothing and everything had changed about it. I took his hand. The end. Oh, yay. That was good. Excellent. Uh, Thank you. We'll, we'll let Eric start here in a second, but I have to ask while it's fresh in my mind, is Gideon not the name of the futuristic assistant from the CW show The Flash? Oh, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> good, good catch. Of course. Of course. You nerds. Yeah. <laughs> I was pleased by that one. Uh, although, good. apparently in the future, being a gazillionaire means you're not an idiot. Uh, <laughs> how things have changed that's how we call it fiction uh, <laughs> all right mr carlson hello let's slot up your story and get rolling i uh i want to hear this on my gizmo right away <laughs> all right well here we go this is uh eric carlson's version of artemis did you use it yet Martin was being a pest again. I sighed. Oh, let's talk about something else, I said, more out of rote than of earnest offense. As a matter of fact, I had used it. Just last night, actually. And it seemed to work pretty well. But that whole business was something that I didn't really want to think about just then. Furthermore, it was a story that Martin definitely did not need to know. Ever. The questions would be endless. You know... He continued on the other end of the comm channel. I gave a prototype to my friend, well, more acquaintance, I guess. Do you know Daniel? Uh, Daniel Stan, I mean, uh, from Waste and Recycling? Dirty Staniel? Sure. <laughs> I was only half listening. I had to keep my eyes on the road, though one could hardly count the massive tread tracks of a refinery crawler pressed into the finest flower lunar dust as a road. Uh, yeah, well, you've met him. I've met him, Martin, and no, I'm not going to test the reusable condom with him. <laughs> the long silence that followed made me feel slightly guilty for dismissing Martin so gruffly, but the vibrating growls Trigger was giving me from his rear wheels was more troubling. My trusty transpo cart was built for hauling small supply crates from one dome to the next, and spent the majority of his life in the down five access tunnels. He was most definitely not designed for EVA joyrides at boiling daytime lunar temperatures. <laughs> I've got a bad vibration here, I spoke into the comm. Trigger isn't happy. Feels like an overheated motor. Uh, reduce speed and hit it with some jet flow, Martin chimed in immediately. I leaned out of the cart and, keeping my right hand on the wheel, spun awkwardly to peer at Trigger's backside over my left shoulder, difficult to do in full suit. 
I quickly scanned the rear wheel for damage, saw none, then glanced at the receding dome of Armstrong behind me, before locating the jet flow. The can of compressed coolant was at my thigh, clipped onto the transport cart's flank, but it wasn't a very big container, and I figured I might need it when the time finally came to work the, my mojo on the crawler. <laughs> no, I just had to trust that Trigger was as tough as I always believed him to be. <laughs> I swung back into the saddle, gasped loudly, then swerved quickly to avoid the big rock in Trigger's path. He shuddered somewhat alarmingly as I did this before settling back into a grumbling trot. Jazz? Martin said. Yep, hi. You okay? Oh, yes, we sure are having a good time out on the moon today, <laughs> I replied with a forced cheerfulness. Then I saw it. Hey, Marty baby, I got visual. 90 seconds out. The crawler was massively huge. One might even say it was hugely massive, though that would be weird. <laughs> From a distance, it reminded me of a dirty gunk tank with treads, except it was the size of a small office building. It was slowly inching along, churning up the colorless topsoil, sniffing for raw aluminum ore, its flat backside emblazoned with the words Sanchez Aluminum. Copy that, Martin replied. A pause, then... You'd tell me if it happened, right? <laughs> happened? What was he talking about? Clarify, maybe? I said into the comm. You know, he said, drawing out the word no a bit. I wouldn't judge. We all use the tools we're given. <laughs> the tools were... I repeated, then halted. Dude, are you still talking about your condom? No, he said defensively. <laughs> Not really. I mean, uh, sort of, I guess, in a roundabout way. That's not why I asked. What did you ask? Martin was really being a pest. I just know you like him, and he seems to like you, so... He trailed off. What, Dirty Staniel? I asked, <laughs> disgusted. Staniel looked and smelled like hot garbage. I was offended by the notion. I have standards, despite what people seem to think. Huh? He replied. Staniel? No, 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 the constable. Dubois, that guy, right? He was stammering. I mean, with the special permissions and the surveillance blackout, yeah? I, I just assumed there was some tit for tat. Phrasing, I protested. <laughs> Sorry, he said. A am I way off base here? God damn it, he knew. I groaned. Can we talk about something else? I offered. Like, for instance, and this is just a suggestion, we could talk about how I'm going to get inside this crawler, since that's why I roped you into this. I felt a violent vibration from Trigger's driver's seat, which echoed as a loud hum inside my helmet. Martin was persistent, however. He did pull some strings for you, though, didn't he? Turned off the egress cameras so you could slip out? Killed the scanning channel so we could talk like this without anyone hearing? This was unbearable. The vibration was getting worse, and the crawler was now looming overhead, blocking the view of a thousand stars, its back end standing like a cliff face before me, bright and menacing in the sunlight. I was pissed off. We had work to do, and Martin wanted me to admit to dealing in sexual favors? <sighs> okay, yeah, he pulled those strings, I said, exasperated, but that doesn't mean I slept with him. Actually... I had, but it's not like it was a transaction. The security <laughs> bypass was more of a happy side effect of having some pretty decent sex. Pretty decent and very safe sex. <laughs> Does that make you feel better, knowing I got a guy on the inside? Uh, hey, uh, I'm sorry, Jazz. It's just that this is really, really, like, illegal or whatever. Like, someone's going to go all moon justice on my ass and break my shins or something if they find out. Martin, you know I got your back if... He kept talking. I mean, after Luke turned up dead, don't talk about that. I'm just a little freaked out and, and could use some reassurance that this is all under control. I didn't say anything. The vibration turned into a rattle. Trigger needed a break. Luckily, I was just a few moments away from reaching the crawler's starboard access port. Martin spoke again. Also, I want to know if you use the condom. Trigger's wheels suddenly seized up completely. He shuddered violently and came to a sudden stop, as if it had just run full steam into a boulder. The sudden halt threw me from my seat, and I careened headfirst through the open front end of the cart, did a full front flip, and landed gracelessly on my ass several seconds later. Fuck! I shouted, twisting onto my side in pain. Jazz? 
Martin shouted in my ear. What happened? Trigger, I gasped. I was winded, and my tailbone felt like it had been massaged with a baseball bat. I rolled over onto my stomach and looked back at the poor guy, who now lay a full ten yards behind me. Moon physics were such a bitch. (laughs) In the stop, Trigger had somehow rolled completely over onto his side. There was no smoke or flame, what with the vacuum of space and all, but at least two of the the wheel-mounted motors visible from the bottom of the cart were obviously scorched, fried, kaput. He's dead, I said, tears welling up in my eyes. It was hopeless. Even if I could afford to fix him, he was now lying out in the middle of nowhere on the surface of the damn moon. The domes of Artemis weren't even visible from way out here. If I tried to to push him back home, I'd surely run out of oxygen from exertion before we got back. Trigger's gone. Are you okay? Martin's disembodied voice said. A pair of tears rolled slowly down my cheeks. Crying in suit always sucked because you couldn't even wipe your face with the helmet on. He was a good boy, (laughs) I said absently. (laughs) A sudden panic came into Martin's voice. The jet flow didn't rupture, did it? The canister was easily visible on the now skyward side of Trigger's corpse. No, it didn't blow. Good. Can you still make it to the crawler? The what? The refinery crawler. Oh, I said, remembering myself, then twisted my body, noting that the pain in my tailbone had receded slightly, and realized that I was now lying a bare yard away from one of the crawler's massive treads. Yeah, I think I can make it. I'm sorry, I asked about Dubois. It's okay, I said breathless. I sniffed and wrinkled my face, trying to work the wetness out of my eyes, then sat up. The access hatch on the side of the massive machine was visible at the top of a short set of rungs. This was it. This was why I was here. Though it felt like a very slight and hollow victory. I glanced again at poor Trigger, then stood up. You were right, I said, feeling a bit empty. About me and Dubois. We boned. (laughs) Oh, was the quiet response. And the condom? I stiffly walked back over to my trusty companion, patted him on the headlight where he always liked it, (laughs) then unbuckled the can of jet flow and turned back towards my task. Let's talk about something else. The end. Woo! Yeah! Oh, man. Well, color me (laughs) moon-faced. You know what that means? (laughs) Oh boy! I I enjoyed both of those quite a lot. As I'm thinking here now about who is going to win this battle of the writing bands, without the band part, <laughs> you're doing really good. Today. I am you're doing really good. Top of the top of the morning to me is what I'm saying. <laughs> saying it here, this guy just talking words at you. Right yep. in your listener ear spots. You're definitely using those word things right now. Listen <laughs> to this podcast, everybody. Uh, right. So while I'm thinking about that, I will ask both of you, what was the challenge of writing this piece? So I want to hear a little bit about the, uh, you know, when you approach this, what was the thing that was the hardest for you to jump over or to get your head around when you came up with this draft? And we'll go in uh, reverse order here. So, Eric, you can start, and then we'll go back to Andrew. Sure. Um, you know, I think uh, with mine, the hardest part was trying to kind of jump right into the action, but still lay enough groundwork through dialogue and, and, and narration so you can kind of get the story that had happened previously um, with our limits on, on word count sometimes hard to jam all the story I want into like 1500 words. And uh, so just trying to find a creative ways to add that extra, uh, that extra background, the extra detail. I think that's, uh, I think that's the, uh, the hardest part for this one. Otherwise, I don't know. This one was actually pretty easy as far as sham fictions go. I like this one a lot. It was a fun prompt. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's a really fun book. I can't wait for you to read it and, we can talk about it yay now i finally get to yeah (laughs) all right mr neil what was your challenge going into this piece 
The hardest thing for me was trying to uh, reconcile my ability to write something sciency <laughs> and deciding not to. <laughs> I, I just, I, I did like, I spent a couple hours doing some research about moon physics and just, mm. and, and moon stuff and just threw it all away. I just was like, I'm trying to force this. I don't want to do this right now. It's not what I'm feeling like. And I even thought like, even though that this is like a dramatic scene in a room that it's like down the moon. So I'm like, we didn't really go over in the pitch how moon physics works in this place. Like if it's like weird, you know, when they're just walking around. But I was like, you know what? It's normal to them. I'm not even going to bring it up. <laughs> so it was a matter of, uh, yeah, like I said, just determining, okay, I, I just needed to get over the sciencey stuff and just go with something that worked for me. But that took a while to kind of get to there. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, the moon physics are the whole reason Trond is on the moon. Uh, so his daughter can get around in the lower gravity. But you're right, the people who are used to being on the moon don't even think about it. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't want to draw too much attention to it, like even when they're moving around or... Um, well, and I didn't know how to do like, even like smoke, like how would smoke look on the moon with the different gravity and everything like that? Oh, I, yeah. I have no idea. I, you know, didn't even think about it because I figured <laughs> they would be so used to it. They wouldn't even pay it any mind. You know, I, I doubt that we've done any smoking in, in uh, space or at least not much. I don't know how that works with the different gravity. Uh, we personally are humanity. Like humanity. We, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm reasonably certain that none of us on this podcast have in our mini trip space. No, speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you guys gave me two different scenes, which always makes it harder to make one of these judgments. And you were both very close to the prompt and definitely to the spirit of these characters, uh, especially Jazz. You both had a good take on Jazz's voice. So... When I'm looking at who I'm going to decide is the winner here, it's really a tough call. Uh, but I think it has to lean on Andy Weir wrote the best version of this story. Well, obviously. That's, uh, he he wrote it best. Uh, so congratulations to Mr. Weir. You can... For just a second, when you started with and, I was like, <laughs> oh, Papa's got it. But I didn't. Nope. 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 You're, you're close. I want to see that sham fiction episode, though, where one of you guys writes outwrites the original material. What hubris yeah. would that be? <laughs> what a shitty thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, Ulysses is a pretty good book, uh, but sorry, Joyce. I'm going to Carlson. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so to move on then. Uh, the you both lost. Uh, yep, we got that. <laughs> but the yep. one of you who lost last, lost last, uh, least Ooh. or less, either way, fewer uh, would be. <laughs> despite that comment, <laughs> Andrew Neal. Oh hey. what? Oh he thank you. It. Uh, it was a very close one, and so what ended up tipping it to Andrew because both of these scenes feel like things that you could see in Artemis and to an extent we see scenes very similar to each of these was okay. that moment you had there at the end Andrew where she's considering how can I say no to this because she goes through pretty much that exact same arc in her head in that moment and I just thought that you, you mm. nailed that it's like one of course I have to do this how can I not say no to this amount of money and then backs it away and goes, wait a second, I am nobody. Uh, and so the, mm -hmm. the key difference in the, the book is that Jazz is not given any instruction or help on how to do this. The transaction oh. is just destroy these uh, crawlers and that's it. Oh, interesting. See, now I'm thinking you're talking about these crawlers. Yeah. And since Eric had crawlers in his story, mm -hmm. uh, that is a detail that I did not receive. That must have been in the Q&A. It was a Q&A queue. That's good. That's good. That's what the plan was, yeah. yeah. 
So, so that that gives it the point that sort of weight uh, punching through the humor in that moment and the excitement uh, really struck me to the core of what this story is about. Uh, Jazz being yeah. so smart that she considers these ramifications. Yeah, no, it, it. I mean, that's what stood out to me, and that's why I went this way. I just kept going over in my mind, why is this billionaire dude asking this nobody to do this? And I was like, well, it's because she's nothing, and he can make her disappear. It's like no, there's no danger for him from his point of view. Just no danger to asking yeah. this woman to do this. So <laughs> I wanted to, yeah, and so I wanted to display that without it being too obvious, you know, where it's like he's friendly, he's warm, and but at the same time she real and I, not to give away that he doesn't really think much of her. Like I didn't want that to be. And he, I didn't want that people to be able to see that at all. Yeah. In the piece. Yeah. Yep. And your your version of Tron was very very close to how he's portrayed in the book. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, cool. The bit that was completely different was how she manages the smuggling. <laughs> sure. Uh, whereas in the book she just has a friend down on Earth, so uh, that's how she's able to do the whole deal it's with her pin pal back on earth uh kelvin yeah well i guess i i maybe didn't catch it i put a little of that in there where there was a little something on both sides with them and that came across to me yeah that's what i picked up i Mm -hmm. I liked the uh the detail actually getting getting into like you know if we ship it with produce it's okay because there's a there's a there's some shrink with produce anyway stuff goes bad you know stuff falls out of the containers all that sort of stuff so you use that to kind of fudge the details and it, it felt very Andy Weir from what I know from like the Martian yeah that reminded me of that sort of detail I thought that was really good oh and I, I should have mentioned I, potatoes I completely agree oh, yeah they should have been potatoes oh, Watney brand potatoes uh, uh. <laughs> I, yeah I, no I, com- I completely agree so while that point was very different I really enjoyed the reasonable fiction that you came up for that and i good i'm I, glad that worked for you yeah i, I like that you tied it to the ritz uh particularly mm-hmm. it's a good, yeah. good choice thank you uh yeah no yeah okay yeah yeah so i was just gonna say let's hear a little bit from mr carlson uh your story was definitely a lot funnier <laughs> you know good you always when you get a scene where you have two characters playing at ends and the stuff with mm-hmm. martin the condom was hysterical um the bit with Dubois just definitely never hits that point in the relationship. Uh, no. So it's very one-sided. <laughs> she just thinks the law's a hottie. But I, sure. I, okay. I enjoyed that. And the way that she talked about sex there was very similar to how it is in the book. So cool. Very much enjoyed it. Uh, I liked the death of Trigger. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. So sad. Oh, that was hard to write. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the the padding on his favorite headlight. Uh, that was, I think, one of my favorite details yeah. in that piece. It's a good moment. Uh, how how does that compare to the original? The uh, treatment of Trigger, like all the, the he's and him's. And... All, all the he's and him's are right. Uh, I don't think Trigger gets that much love in the book. Oh, okay. I mean, she she definitely feels it. I just don't think that he gets that much paid attention to. And also, yeah, of course, he would never be able to leave the settlement. Because um, uh-huh. if you design yeah. things to operate yeah. in a clean space, they're not going to work break on the down immediately. Dust. Yeah. <laughs> the regolith, as I talk about, it's just the, uh, the dust on the moon, I guess, is all super sharp because there's no wind to round it out. Yep. So it'll just ruin oh. everything that's not completely sealed immediately. <laughs> interesting mm-hmm. that's a good detail uh but yeah no it was yeah your 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 uh imagery with trigger was was good i was I, it was very different than what i was expecting i mean even though he was like there was no cab in him like she wasn't inside anything she was just kind of driving him mm-hmm. I, I don't know just like from the description in the pitch i just thought he was a cart <laughs> you know so so i'm like oh she's driving trigger i thought he was just a push cart <laughs> That's funny. That's oh, really man. funny. Is is he just a push car, no, Marcus? No. Okay, he's, he is a drivable yeah, he's a thing. Way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
man. But the the, the sciencey stuff in your in in your uh, in your piece, Eric, was really great, and I I didn't butt up on any of it, and I mean I just thought it worked perfectly. It kept me really immersed in the moment, um, where it felt uh, with the the problems with trigger you know, adding to a little bit of the anxiety of, like, something could go wrong, and it eventually does. Um, there was still, based on the conversation, that was just such a, like, you know, banal conversation that it really felt like, oh, these people live on the moon. This this is not a, this isn't a weird thing. They're doing an EVA. This is life on the moon. Yeah. I, I really appreciated that. Great to hear. Thank you. Um, yeah, question about uh, Andrews, actually. Um, Marcus, this is just stuff I'm curious about. Sure. You know, what, what matches and what doesn't. The fact that he, like, I love the imagery, Andrew, of this pad, this millionaire's spot on Aldrin Up 17, you know, with the amazing view and the hardwood floors somehow and the wingback <laughs> chairs and all that stuff. Like, I love that so much. I love the idea, you know, and the way you describe it, you're used to, you know, chrome and white and sterile sort of cold looking places. And this is the opposite of that. Like, I really enjoyed those descriptions. Good. But my question for Marcus is, is any of that in here or is there any way to get a wingback chair on the moon? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah? that's about right. Cool. I think Trong is in Shepherd, which is where all the, the Richies live. And oh, Armstrong nice. is more like the hotel district. Uh, well, Aldrin was the... Or Aldrin, the, right. Oh, okay, gotcha. Let's see, did I get that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Al- Aldrin, check, Aldrin is it, yeah. Hotels. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, but it is meant to be, when you get to that level of gazillionaire, you get that many slugs you can do pretty much anything. So you have a cool. place that looks like an Earth mansion on the moon. Uh, and, oh, that's you fantastic. You know, the Ritz-Carlson's like a Ritz-Carlson. I love that. Was that uh, some detail that, a- Andrew, you asked for in the Q&A, or is that just serendipitous? No, no, it wasn't. It was just something I made up. Cool. Because, like, I just thought, you know, what would be a sign of wealth, and it would be to look different than everything else, to stand out. And wood is something that doesn't exist up there. So what? that was something that was actually something that I took from uh, the recent Blade Runner movie, oh, yeah. where a character has a wooden doll and somebody says, "This is worth a lot of money." And it's like, because there's no wood anymore. <laughs> we don't use wood for anything. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of took that detail from there. Yeah, very nice. Jess Whedon did a uh, far future version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer at one point. It's a <gasps> comic book. What? And it's great because vampires get killed by wooden stakes, so that was really hard in the future. <laughs> That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. That's did, a good detail. Yeah, it was excellent. Now really I want to read detail. this. Let's stop talking about Artemis. Let's talk about future Buffy. Oh, sure. I'll pitch that next. It's great. All right. <laughs> immediately. Go. So I, I, I do want to mention, like, with Eric's story, um, the one thing that I did butt up against was just the intention of the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, given that I didn't have the information knowing what, how she was sabotaging Sanchez, I feel mm-hmm. like in your piece, you assumed that I knew that information. So oh, it sure. worked for Marcus because he's read the book. Mm-hmm. But for me, I was like, oh, what is she doing? She's got this mm-hmm. jet fuel stuff. What is that for? I, I didn't make the connection in turn. So the overall goal with the scene wasn't clear to me throughout. Gotcha. Okay, good note. That's true. Yeah, I never really expressly say I'm gonna go fuck up that crawler. She yeah. there's a line in there about working her mojo on the crawler, but that I love that line. That was a great line, but anything. I wasn't sure what she was gonna. I still didn't know what that meant. Yeah, like, she might be fixing it. She's a, she's a it's a helping hand. Yeah, I didn't know. I guess yeah. Good point. I I wrote this for an audience that just heard this pitch, where Marcus said that uh she's got a sabotage uh sanchez so i have a crawler that says sanchez on the back put the pieces together but you're right from a from a just a raw listening or reading standpoint Mm -hmm. it's missing it's missing pieces well yeah so i think that that's something that you're going to see when we do these shorter pieces and you're able as writers to select any portion of a larger story that you'd be liking to tell uh, one thing that could help avoid that, though, without having to go into the full details, is just to filter more of the events through the prism of how it affects that immediate goal. 
So, mm-hmm. yes, she's going to be upset when Trigger starts bugging out, but how is that going to affect her getting to the location? How is it going to affect her getting the fuel? Uh, mm-hmm. Those types of issues, when you can address them in just a line or two, will help us, even if you don't give us that full background context, get the significance of what the objective is. Sure. Checks yeah. out. <laughs> Checks out. I like yeah. that no, note. No, that's good. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, one line neither of us managed to put in. Uh, not just lasers. Oh, uh, no. That was a good note. Back it's not just notes. lasers here. <laughs> not just lasers. Uh, I was I was kind of disappointed. Neither of you guys threw in. Uh, how's it floating? You would have immediately won. Uh, <laughs> when we started this, when Andrew was about to read his, I thought of it. I'm like, oh, how's it floating? And then I uh, I tried to quick look to see if I could insert <laughs> it anywhere, but I couldn't do it. Uh, it would have been the deciding factor. <laughs> The Titan AE, how's it floating? Another yeah. deep cut. It could have cut. just been Martin just going in, hey, Jazz, how's it floating? <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll edit it. I'll make some changes. We'll read it again. Uh, do it again. Too late. Do it again now. It's too late. Not all oh. the slugs in the world can change it. No. No, I, I really, really enjoyed both of these stories. Uh, and I thought you both did, even with that note on not getting full detail on what you're going to with the... Uh, Sanchez machines you both got a full story in there's there was a nice uh sort of symmetry from where it's starting where it's ending and I wanted to get a just for my sake and for some of the listeners who are trying to get a sense for how long these stories are what was your word count where did you wind up in our objective here uh I got mine Eric's is actually a little over our limit 1550 oh wow Mine is also a little over 1571. That's so interesting. Both of your stories just flew by to me. I I was expecting that you would have come in under. Huh. Good. That's good. Yeah. It is a good sign that uh, I don't feel the length. Yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, So any last comments before we wrap up here? Uh, Andrew... You had a story about space cigars. I did. I liked it a lot. Good. I, 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 I guess final thoughts on it. Um, you know, some of it uh, felt a little slow to me, but it's just because you have this kind of calm dialogue scene. Yeah. You know, there's no explosions. What? Uh, how am I supposed to pay attention? <laughs> uh, Don't mention you got a lot name. of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of really good uh, imagery. Um, I love the dialogue between these two characters because you're you're setting up uh, somebody who's at the very lowest rung of society uh, talking to somebody at the very highest rung of society. So it's interesting to see how they play off each other and the way that she filters that information through her first-person perspective. It was really good. Thank um, you. And I really want to listen to it again, actually, because uh, I feel like there's there's more that I could pick up on on a second second listening and uh and i love that moment at the end as marcus said kind of realizing that she is nothing in this situation how can you say no Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what you say really yeah which was a great moment so very well deserved thank you Uh, congratulations i appreciate it appreciate it i'm doing good feeling good (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) Uh, all right, so at least you already said you liked Eric's. We'll just uh, I did. Oh, I, was, I thought I feel like I've already said things. That's <laughs> that didn't mean to be an asshole there. Uh, I just the feel it. I'm so high on the hogs. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like I I I, I, I complimented yeah. and and critiqued. So I feel very very comfortable right now. <laughs> it's, it's all good. Just a funny yep. closing thought. So uh, Mr. Cross, the last thoughts. Andrew, beautiful work of art you just did. <laughs> Kick it to you. Feeling good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep, I sure am. All right. No, man, you did. It was a great story. I again, like the the way when you go into detail about the science stuff, I I just I I, I that that's such a reach for me. Just when you mentioned that that this was an easier one for you to do, I like listen to your story and I'm like, that seems hard as hell. 
So thank you. Good work. Thank you. But you don't have to coddle me, champion. <laughs> moon uh, champion, Neil. Oh, I am the yes, champion of the moon. that you both lost. So. Oh, that's right. <laughs> if you listeners out there want to read this amazing book, uh, do. Get it at a bookstore. Get it on your Kindle. It's Artemis by Andy Weir. Excellent story. Really enjoyed this one. The audiobook, available on theaudible.com, is narrated by Rosario Dawson. So mm, that's pretty she's cool. Great. Uh, you know, almost as good as Eric's reading, but um, <laughs> almost, almost. But uh, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. I, I really enjoyed this one. I revisited it myself. So check it out. And until next time, everybody, say it with me: You can't beat the dredge. They're pure energy. They said it at home. I heard them. They said it. That's it. Wait, are we talking Rosario Dawson from Alexander? Oh! 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 Sham Fiction is a Two Jackets production hosted by Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Original music by Reed Reimer. Head to shamfiction.com for the episode archive. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Next time on Sham Fiction, we're taking you back to the simpler times of the mid-90s, where a tall, blonde bombshell who is... Technically, some kind of a like experimental alien super baby is gonna blow you away, but also maybe the first thing. Yep, species. The film is called Species, and if you were capable of feeling things, you would enjoy it a lot. Anyway, see you next time. This has been a Two Jackets production. What? Dirty Staniel? <laughs> <laughs>